Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd ask you to turn to the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 7. Uh, it's on page 235 if you have the, the Pew Bible. And actually, I'm going to start, start at verse 13. I'm going to share verse 13 and 14. Now, what's going on is... David has died. King David has died. His son Solomon has taken over. The temple to worship the Lord has been built. And they're just having a great, a great church service, if you will. And Solomon, in his wisdom, knew that sometime or another, the people of Israel were going to turn their back on gods. They were going to, they were going to go into sin. And Solomon was before the Lord asking them, Lord, I know this day is going to come. But when it comes, and, and when my people see it for what it is, they see that you've taken your hand away from us because of their sin, and, and when they honestly and earnestly uh, want to repent and want to turn back to you, Lord, would you forgive their sin and accept them back into, into the fellowship? And, and this is what we read here, verses 13 and 14. If you're physically able, out of reverence to God's word, if you'd stand, please. And I'm going to start at verse 12, 12 through 14. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and heal their land. If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves, and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and heal their land. May God bless us by the reading and the hearing, but most especially the doing of his word. You may be, be seated. Folks, the United States of America has always been considered a Christian nation. Okay? I didn't say that it was a Christian nation. It's been considered a Christian nation. And the reason I say that is, number one, we've not always lived for God, but number two, in our Constitution, our Bill of Rights, our Declaration of Independence, we don't see anywhere where, where it says our country is a Christian nation. Okay, we see where it was founded on biblical principles. Okay, and the reason I want to make that clear is I've had the opportunity to go overseas several times, to Haiti, to India, Moldova, and whenever I get into conversation with people, somewhere along the line, somebody's going to say, well, you're, you're from the United States of America, you're a Christian nation. Well, if we look at where we are today, can we honestly say that we're a Christian nation? And to me, the answer, answer to that is no. Should we be a Christian nation with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? I say yes. But we're not living like that. Even if it was in the Declaration or, or the Bill of Rights or the Constitution, we're not living like that. But, but the country's always been considered a Christian nation. But look, if you will, and we've been kind of talking about this a lot lately, look, if you will, how far, even for those of us that consider it a Christian nation, Look how far we have come from the way this book says we're to conduct ourselves as Christians and the way we conduct ourselves today, the way we, way we live our lives today. 
Look at how far we have moved from God in our national life, in our local life, and even, even in our church lives. You know, there are things today that are discussed and accepted as all right and normal in our, from the pulpits today that wouldn't even be discussed in whispers in the parking lot 30, 40, 50 years ago. Our nation is sick. Our nation is sick spiritually. I believe all of our ills stem from us being a sick nation spiritually. And the symptoms are all around us. Divorce. You know, there's no difference today between, uh, pretty much no difference today between the divorce of people that are outside of church and those that, that claim to be Christians. We've taken God out of just about everything. You know, and we even have Christians complaining, well, they've, they've taken the ten, ten Commandments out of schools and, and out of the, the, the public arena. Well, how many of us Christians can even name all ten of the Ten Commandments? You know, well, they've taken prayer out of school and, and graduation and different things like that. You know, you can't pray before a football game. Well, and, and we as Christians fuss about that, but how many of us even have any semblance of a prayer life on our own, but yet we're, we complain because it's being taken out of national life. We're dealing today with gay rights, with militant feminism, with, with pornography, with, with the fall of our, our morals. And, and folks, I'm not just talking about our country, I'm, I'm talking about the church. We, we have churches and pulpits today that, that say that there's nothing wrong with, with a man marrying a man or a woman marrying a woman and that if you're engaged in that lifestyle it's okay for you to even be ordained as a pastor as a preacher and to, and to be the under shepherd of a church there's a Methodist seminary that I saw on the news yesterday that in the name of inclusion they still intend on being a seminary a theological seminary but they're switching it so that it's going to be a theological seminary that accepts all faiths. In other words, they're going to have a, a, a seminary for Christianity, a seminary for Islam, a seminary for Judaism, a seminary for Buddhism. And, and it's all under the umbrella of, well, if we can't come together and see what we have in common and pray together, then we can't move forward. Folks... My Bible doesn't say anything about that. And I'm not trying to be mean or, or, or hateful or bigoted. You know, we need to reach out to those people with the love of Jesus Christ. But for us to, 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 to stand in a seminary and say that this way of, this way of belief is as justifiable as this way of belief goes completely against what the Scripture teaches. My Bible tells me that the only way to God is through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. But yet, again, even in seminary, we've got a seminary in Richmond, a supposed Southern Baptist seminary where, where one of the ladies that graduated from there and, and is a pastor and, and teaches there was quoted in the newspaper saying, I don't know whether it's all real or not. You know, and then on top of that, she says, even if it is real, who am I, a pastor now and a seminarian teaching supposedly young preachers, who am I to impose my way of belief on these other folks? Well, by golly, if you're at a seminary preparing people to preach the Word of God, you better be telling them that there's something different about what you believe or should believe as opposed to these other things. So, so the symptoms of, of, of national sickness... See, the, the problem in our country isn't divorce. The problem in our country isn't pornography. It's not crime. It's not drug addiction. It's not the Democrats. It's not the Republicans. It's not the conservatives. It's not the liberals. It's sin. 
It's sin. And folks, I think we as Christians bear a lot of that responsibility. We stand up now and we weep and we wail and, and we wonder how things got, got this way. But yet the church was amazingly silent back in the 40s and 50s when there were signs saying that a white man and a black man couldn't drink out of the same water fountain or ride the same bus or eat at the same restaurant. The church didn't say a thing. Church didn't say anything in 1962 when prayer was first taken out of school. The church didn't say anything when Roe versus Wade came down the pike and, and it allowed a woman to kill a, a living, breathing human being in their womb. And now we're standing around. How did it happen? It happened because we as the church kept our mouths shut. You know why? We're fat, dumb, and happy. I'm making my living. I'm bringing in my money. My family's fine. I'm getting my, my house, I'm getting my car, I'm getting my career, I'm getting my money, I'm getting my vacation, I'll give God my tip of the hat every Sunday or whatever Sunday I feel like coming, and then all of a sudden everything goes down the tubes and, and the church stands around wringing their hands wondering what's wrong. President Obama's an evil man. President Bush is an evil man. You know what? We were the ones that either voted or didn't vote to get them in office. Everybody that's in office, whether it's the federal government, the state government, the local government, are where they are right now because people either voted for them or they didn't vote at all. So we've got no room to complain. But the problem is we're sin sick. We're sin sick. We have gotten away from our words. And even this passage right here, I guarantee you that when the fall rolls around and a lot of churches... You know, churches have their revivals in the spring and in the fall. I guarantee you when fall rolls around and a lot of churches have revival, a, a great many of them, that's going to be their theme passage right there. It seems to be the passage. Let's just, if we pull, it's almost like, well, if we pull this out and we recite it and we pray it and maybe even preach on it a little bit, then automatically everything's going to be taken care of. But folks, if we don't really get in depth with this to see what they're talking about, what God's talking about, it's not going to do us any good. It's almost like a little platitude they'll, they'll throw out when problems you know, are going on in our country. Oh, well, if we just claim Second Chronicles 7.14, but yet the church, if we're honest with ourselves, we really don't take to heart what's in here. Because when we pray this, if we look at this, God was addressing this to, to the nation of Israel to God's chosen people, if you will, that lived in the nation of Israel. If you remember the story, there were still some of the, the heathens, some of the pagans still living in Israel. And those pagans, those heathens, those ungodly people, the non-Christians, were the ones that, that uh, influenced Israel, and Israel went into sin. Keep in mind, it, it was by Israel's own choice. These other people groups, they didn't force them to do what they were doing. Israel chose to do it. So what God's speaking about here, when he's saying Israel, he doesn't mean the whole country. What he's speaking of, if my people, my people who are Israel, do all these things. And so when we apply this today, so many pastors and so many churches apply it to the whole country. But you guys know as well as I do that I cannot expect somebody who doesn't know Jesus Christ to live to live the same lifestyle that I should be living, to be doing the same things that I should be doing, to be making the same decisions that I should be making because they have no leading of the Holy Spirit to do it, and we do. 
So I want us to take a look at this this morning from the, from the prospect of what we as the church need to do and get into a little bit of depth as to what's going on here instead of glossing over it. Four things that God tells us that we need to be willing to do. The church, if we want to apply this to today, four things that we need to do for God to heal our nation and bring about a spiritual revival. Guys, I try not to be pessimistic. I, I, I believe that for the most part, I love our country, but I believe our best days are, are behind us. Save if we have a spiritual revival. And I believe God wants to bring revival, but you know what? He's waiting to see if God's people want revival. We give lip service to it all the time, but do we really want it? To have it, to have revival and to turn our nation around, God says we need to do these things. First of all, he says we have got to humble ourselves. And you know, in the 21st century, that's just not something you throw up in polite conversation. Well, you know what? I need to be a whole lot more humble. Well, what are you talking about? You know, you're a good guy. You're an honest guy. You're a sincere guy. What, you know, what, what are you talking about? Check out some of these guys in Hollywood and some of these sports figures and some of these singers. Could you imagine if I were to walk up to one of these guys and say, you know what? You really need to think about being a little bit more humble. Yeah. Well, who do you think you're talking to? I make more money in, 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 in one month than you'll make your entire career. Yeah, I speak, to, I speak and I entertain and I sing to, to, to more people in one concert than you'll ever do in your lifetime. Who in the world are you to tell me that, that, that I need to do anything? But folks, we as a nation have turned our back on God. We've walked after our, our own desires. We've become prideful. We think we know better than God, even in the church. We think we know better than God. Even Christians have lost their humility. We're prideful, we're arrogant, we're self-seeking. You know, every once in a while I'll click on, when, when, I, when I look at the news on, on the internet, whether it be Fox or CNN or, or whatever, and if there's, a, if there's an issue that has got to do with something like, say, say uh, gay rights, prayer in school, this, that, or the other, it amazes me how many so-called Christians will make comments on there that are mean, arrogant, and hate-filled. You know, even Christians. Well, you, you, all deserve to burn, you all deserve to burn in hell. If you don't believe what we believe, the, the, the Bible tells us this, this, and this, and yes, it's the truth. The Bible does say it, but you deserve to burn in hell. Or, or have a good time, you know, Adam and Steve, have a great time being married. Have a great time now because you're going to burn for eternity in it. You know, or they, all, these, all these heretics and all these blasphemers, they, they can enjoy trying to take away all these Christian rights all they want to because they're going to burn for hell in it when, that, when, when these Christians probably don't even employ those things in their own personal life. I never anywhere in the Bible saw Jesus evil, mean, and nasty to a non-believer. Now, I saw him get pretty irritated with the religious leaders who thought they had it all. I seem to recall him twice going into the temple and turning the tables over. I seem to recall him calling the religious leaders a bunch of whitewashed sepulchers. Jesus was never evil, mean, and nasty with the lost people. It was always the religious leaders. But yet it breaks my heart to see how, how evil, mean, and nasty, and prideful, and arrogant Christians have gotten. 
And that's, that's just dealing with lost people. What about our relationship with Christ? How many of us, our attitude now is, and you've heard me say it many times, Lord, I'll serve you when I want you, how I want you, and the way I want you, and by golly, you better be happy about it because I'm taking time out of my day, I'm taking time out of my life to serve you. And we think that God should, should roll over and do whatever we want Him to do just because we take time out of our schedule to, to, for lack of a better term, to throw God a bone. I mean, just think of this. The Creator of the universe, the One who created everything, maintains everything, sustains everything, the One who controls when we take our first breath and takes our last breath, but yet we as Christians have become so arrogant and so cocky, God, I'll serve you when I want you and you better be happy. God, I'll worship you when I want to, and you better, you better be happy. You know, God, I, I, got, I got things I got to do, and you better be happy when I take the time to, to, to serve you. Even in the church today, we've developed a mindset of we know better than God. Uh, again, there's nothing wrong with two men living together, two women living together. There's nothing wrong with that type of lifestyle leading churches. You know, there are even pastors out there today that will preach, well, you know what? You come to Jesus, but you don't have to give up anything. All you got to do is say that you believe. You don't, there's no mention of repentance. There's no, no mention of being a sinner. There's no mention of, of, of any kind of life change if Jesus truly lives in you. It's just come on down, give your life to Jesus, say a prayer, and then walk on out the doors and live, live life the way you've always lived them, lived it. And God's going to bless that. We've gotten arrogant to the point where we think we know better than God. We need to humble ourselves. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, I thought I had that marked. I guess I didn't. 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul talks about this when he's, when he's talking to his young son in the ministry, uh, Peter. I'm sorry. Paul's talking about this when he's talking to, to Timothy. That's why it's called 2 Timothy. I was just checking to see if y'all were, were paying attention. 2 Timothy 3. In fact, these glasses aren't even helping today. Paul tells Timothy, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without control, brutal, despisers of self, I'm sorry, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Folks, I believe Paul is telling Timothy about people in the church. What do you say in that? And you might be thinking, well, Pastor, how do you come to that conclusion? Look at this next sentence. And from such people turn away. Now, if Jesus called us to reach out to the lost and the dying, why would he be telling us to turn away from them? I believe what Paul was telling Timothy is that a day is going to come in the church when this is going to be the attitude of people that call themselves Christians. And when it gets to be that day, you need to turn away from them. You need to get them out of your sight. I believe Paul told Timothy a couple of times, uh, or, or in, in a couple of the letters, we, we need to, if you will, turn them over to Satan. In other words, just let them live life on their own for a while and see what life is like outside of, outside of the, the Christian circle. 
sad to say those types of people are running rampant throughout the church today. But Paul, I'm sorry, God told, told uh, Solomon here, first of all, you've got to humble themselves. Secondly, he says, we need to seek his face. In other words, we need to seek God. So many of us claim to seek God, but really what we're doing is we're seeking what God can do for us. Instead of seeking God just so that we can know Him better because of who He is, because He's our Heavenly Father, because His Son Jesus Christ is our Savior, because He gave up everything He had to make a way for us to get saved, we should be seeking Him for those reasons. We should be seeking Him just for the fact that we can be in fellowship with Him and love Him and worship Him and praise Him. But yet so many of us seek Him for what He can do for us. You've heard me say this the past couple of weeks. There are people out there that think, well, you know what? My family's a mess. If I get my family in church, then my family's going to be okay. Well, I, I got a bad report at the doctor the other day. Well, if I, if, 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 I get, if I get into church, if I start praying and worshiping God, then God's going to take care of it. Well, you know what? I, I don't have enough. There, there, there's more month than there is money this week, this month. If I go to church and I start praying and all this, that, and the other, then God's going to take care of it. We see God as the means to an end as opposed to seeing God as the end. God, I'm going to come worship you I'm going to give my life to you, and if you choose to heal my family because of me getting right with you, I'm going to praise you for it. That's a benefit of me coming to know you. Lord, I'm going to worship you and praise you whether you heal me of my sickness or not, and if you choose to heal me on this side of my sickness, I'm going to worship you and praise you even more for doing that. But what do we do? We think, well, if I run down the altar and I say something or I pray something, then, then God's going to bless it. We see God as the means as opposed to being the end. We seek Him for what He can do as opposed to seeking Him for, for who He is. We need to seek His will. We need to be willing to surrender to Him. We need to be willing to put ourselves under submission to God and to seek out God's direction and God's guidance. Lord, here I am, use me. Lord, here I am, send me. Lord, here I am, whatever I have is yours. My time, my talents, my treasures. You tell me what you want me to do with it. And I'm going to be obedient and do it. We need to look and seek God. I'm sorry, what we normally do is we look and we seek God when everything else has failed. Well, I don't seem to have enough money. I'm going to go out and get a second job. And we fail to look at the fact that, for, I'm not saying all of us because I know we're living in difficult economic times, but maybe the reason we don't have enough money is because we made some bad financial decisions and, and we've got ourselves in debt up to here. You know. Again, Lord, my family is a mess. You know, and I try to, well, I go to the marriage council, I've gone to the lawyers, I've done this, that, and the other. When what, what, we, what we should have done maybe is, is just falling on our face before God the first time. Lord, my marriage is a mess. You're the only one that can take care of this. You're the only one that can, that can handle this. When we get that bad report from the doctor, instead of, well, I want to get a second, and I'm not saying we don't get second opinions, but instead of, well, I, let me go get a second opinion, or let me go on WebMD, or, or do this, and, and we go through all these things trying to figure out the cure, and then when we get to the end of our rope, 
and, and, and see that, humanly speaking, there's no human way things are going to get taken care of, then all of a sudden we go to God. We use God as, a, as, as our last resort as opposed to, to seeking Him first. I mean, even today, as a nation, who do we look to to solve our problems? We look to the government, for the most part. Well, D.C. will help us. Yeah, you see where, where, where D.C. has gotten us. And again, it don't matter who's up there. Both, of them are, both groups are messing us up. Yeah, the government's going to help us. No. Ronald Reagan, years ago, scariest phrase you could ever hear, we're from the government and we're here to help. You know, I, I, I honestly believe that. We look to the government, you know. We look to Hollywood. Well, you know, maybe The Rock's got the answer in his movie. You know, maybe, uh, uh, I know Mel Gibson doesn't have it anymore. He did when he came out with The Passion of the Christ, but since then he's kind of, you know. Who are some of these big directors? Martin Scorsese and some of these, yeah, they may, maybe they have the answer in their music. Maybe the, in their movies, maybe the guys, the, the, the groups, and the, the artists that I listen to uh, with my music, maybe, maybe they've got the answers, you know. And we look to all these different things. Maybe they can fix us. Maybe five or six more songs like Lee, and I'm not cutting that song down, I love it. But maybe if we had five or six more songs like Lee Greenwood had out there, all of a sudden our nation would come together, man, and we'd start solving our problems. Doesn't happen. We go through all these other things. Husbands and wives, children and parents, and I need to look to my wife. Tammy's going to give, Tammy's going to give me all the answers. Tammy's going to complete me. Well, let, me, let, me let me back up. Let me, let me switch that around. Tammy says, I'm, I'm just going to depend on my husband. He's going to be my be-all, my end-all. He's going to be my completer. He, he's going to bring me complete fulfillment in life. Folks, if that was the, were, were the case, if she depended on me for all those things, we wouldn't have made it 26 years. She'd have left me before we got married, much less going, making it through the first anniversary. Some of us put all of our faith in our kids. Or our kids put all of their faith in us. My goodness, my kids either would have left me or I'd have booted all three of them out if, if they were looking at me. to. Now, yes, they need to look to me as the dad, but there's only, there's only so much we can do as humans. It's got to be God. But we always wait until we get almost, if you will, for lack of a better term, the point of no return before, you know what, maybe I ought to ask God. Maybe God's the one that can help me. So God told Solomon, you've got to humble yourselves. You need to seek His face. Don't just come to God when you're in trouble and you need, need something. You need a, you need a miracle, but, but seek His face for who He is. Thirdly, He says, we need to pray. If they will humble themselves, if they'll seek my face, if they pray. Folks, do you realize this morning that the purpose of prayer isn't to manipulate God? So many of us think that the purpose of prayer is for God to give us whatever we want. God's either our fairy godmother, fairy godfather, or he's Santa Claus. And when we come to him to pray, we, we, we come sit on his lap. And I've been a good boy, God, so I've been a good boy, Santa, so I want this, and I want this, and I want this, and I want this. And we expect God to, to, to bless us and to answer it. Folks, the purpose of prayer isn't to manipulate God, but the purpose of prayer is to get us in touch with God, to know what God's will is. 
so that we can do His will. And you know, the thing about prayer, true prayer, is that true prayer is humbling because it means we're acknowledging we can't do it on our own. It's acknowledging that God's God and we're not. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, we read this. Wrong verse again. I'm not even going to look for it. I'm just going to, going to quote it. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, God tells the people of Israel, Come now and let us reason together. Though your sins be as red as scarlet, I'll wash them white as snow. And a lot of folks take that to mean, Well, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to pray and God and I are going to get together and, and we're going to have a little, bit of a little bit of a give and take and we're going to work out some kind of compromise. No. When God says, Come now and let us reason together, God's saying, Come now and I'm going to tell you what, the, the way it is. I'm going to tell you what the truth is. I'm going to tell you if you're in sin, but I've got the ability to, to forgive your sin and, and wash you whiter than snow. I'm going to tell you what you need to be doing as a child of mine, what kind of life I want you to live, how I want you to live. And it's not, well, God, see, we think of God as being kind of a quid pro quo kind of God. Well, if I do this, then God's going to do that. That's not... It happens sometimes, because sometimes in the Scripture, God, right here, God says, if you do these things, then I'll do this. But that's not necessarily the way God generally works. God says, this is the way it's going to go, and you're either obedient or you're disobedient. You're either blessed for doing it, or you're not blessed for not doing it. So he says, come now, let us reason together. And this type of prayer, we're not, again, not working something out with God. We're coming to God, and God's saying, this is the way it's going to be. When we come to God in prayer, we're to seek His will, His will, as opposed to our will. Prayer is to be a constant communication and, and a constant relationship with our Heavenly Father. Not just us running to Him when we need something, or we have some spare time, or we've got nothing better to do. Prayer is supposed to be a constant. It's a, it's a, I think I've shared with you my friend Jim Wilson, his dad... T.W. Wilson, whenever he prayed, somebody asked him one time, how come when you pray, you start out your prayer with, and our Father? And he says, I pray like that because I'm in a constant conversation with God, and when I start to pray, I'm just picking up the conversation from where I was the last time. We're supposed to be in constant relationship and constant prayer with, with, with God, not just coming to Him when, when we've got nothing better to do. And some of us, God taught me this one about a year or so ago. None of us should, if, if, if we have a pretty good prayer life, none of us should be sitting back and talking and, and thinking, you know what, I got that one knocked out. I got a great prayer life because I... I, I I, I, I go to pray to God here, here, and here, and, and even at, at, at other times. We can't think too highly of ourselves because if we want to know the truth, we're not the ones that are going to God in prayer. In a sense, it's God that's drawing us to Him. Because if it was really up to us to come to Him in prayer, guess what? We'd find a zillion different excuses to not do it. So even if we do have a routine of, of praying, a specific time we pray, that's not really us going. That's God calling us to Him, and we're just being obedient when He, when he calls us. So we, he said we need to humble ourselves. 
We, we need to seek His face. We need to pray. Finally, He says we need to turn from our wicked ways. And I think that's one of the main problems in the church today. We, we are just as wicked in a lot of areas as the, the most lost person out there. Again, divorce is just as rampant in the church. Pornography is rampant in the church, whether it be on, on the, 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 the internet or, or running. Several years ago, I guess about ten years now, nine years now, I got to go to the Southern Baptist Convention that was held in New Orleans. And would you believe that they actually had to stand up at the Southern Baptist Convention and request that people not go back to their hotel rooms and watch pornography? They had to request that at the National Convention because the year before, you know, they, they keep all these things on computer and, and all this stuff. They, they, were, they were astonished at how many folks the year before at the hotels that they were utilizing, how many pornographic movies were being watched. But yet we try to, try to put ourselves off as being so much holier than everybody else. In Psalm 66, 18, David wrote, If I regard iniquity in my heart, you won't hear my prayers. Maybe part of the reason God's not hearing the prayers for our nation today is because we as Christians are regarding iniquity in our heart. We're disobeying. We're not loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're not obeying the Ten Commandments, which if we obey that greatest commandment, everything else falls into place. We're not honoring God with our time, with our talents, with our treasures. Church is an afterthought. Church is something that, that if we decide we want to do it, it's great. You know, that's extra, but if we don't want to do it, that's fine. Neglecting, uh, I, I forgot what passage, I think it's in Hebrews, says do not forsake the assembling together. And if you go on down that passage, it says we should be doing it even more as the day of his return approaches. We don't want to serve. We don't, we, we don't want to live a lifestyle that separates us from the world, though we need to be in it. We regard, even as the church, we regard iniquity. We get jealous of each other. If somebody gets a chance to go on a better vacation or has a nicer house or a better car, and we get jealous of them. We're regarding iniquity in our hearts. In Isaiah 59, I do want to share this one with you. Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 through 3, we read this. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, nor his ear heavy that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, your tongue uttered perversity. And then down in beginning in verse 12, he says, for our transgressions are multiplied before you. This is Isaiah speaking. And our sins testify against us, for our transgressions are with us. And as for our iniquities, we know them. And transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing from our God, seeking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart of words of falsehood, justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off. For truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter. Isaiah was talking of the church, if you will, the Old Testament church being just as bad as the lost world was. And folks, I believe the same thing is true today. And you might be sitting there saying, well, wait a minute, preacher. You can say that all you want to. You can say that I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing the other. But God's still blessing me. 
I'm still making my money the way I always have. As a matter of fact, I, 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 I'm getting ready to, 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 to do this or to do that. I've still got my nice car. I've still got my bass boat. I've still got my nice house. I still get to go on all these vacations. I'm putting money in my 401k. I'm doing this, that, and the other. Surely is God blessing me, is it? Because God still gives us free choice. God doesn't necessarily say every time you step out of line right now, I'm going to zap you. But just because we might be having material and financial success, does that mean God's blessing it? I can take you to D.C. or New York City or Miami or, or, or Hollywood, California and show you drug dealers and prostitutes and pimps and movie stars and singers that have got everything money can buy and you can't tell me that that's God blessing them. They're doing it in their own strength and they're doing it in their own energy. But I think sometimes we as the church have gotten caught up in, well, I'm going to do this. God hasn't zapped me yet. He must be blessing me. And that's not the case. God says we've got to turn from our wicked ways. We have to acknowledge that we've sinned as a church before God. Not just say, oh, well, this is terrible, or let's throw up a Hail Mary, or, or let's pray you know, 2 Chronicles 7.14. Or yes, God, we're sorry, now do something. I think that's, for the most part, that's what happened after September 11th. For three or four weeks after September 11th, the churches were packed. But from about week five on, things went back to normal. God, we're sorry, God, we're scared. <laughs> Would you do something now? And there wasn't any real repentance. See, folks, we as Christians have got to acknowledge our individual sin and the sin of the church, but we've also got to acknowledge our national sin. We have played a part in discrimination. We have played a part in abortion. We have played a part in all these things. And you might be saying, well, I didn't vote for anybody but that did that, preacher. But if you read in the Old Testament, all the old prophets, Isaiah, Hosea, Jeremiah, they claimed the sins of the people as their own even though they didn't participate in them because they were part of that people group. We need to acknowledge our individual sin as Christians. We need to acknowledge the sin of the church. And we need to acknowledge the sin of our nations. And as we turn from our wicked ways, part of turning from our wicked ways means that we begin to have the desire that God has. That we begin to see things the way God sees them. That we begin to hate the things that God hates, love the things that God loves. Our hearts break over the things that God's heart, heart breaks over. The lost, the poor, the homeless, the widow, the hungry, the hurting. And folks, it's got to start with the church. It's got to start with us who call ourselves Christians doing these things. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17 says, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. Before we can start throwing accusations at Washington, before we can start throwing accusations at these people out here that don't live lifestyles like we claim that we live, we need to get right with ourselves. I'm sorry, we need to get right with God. Judgment needs to start. Confession needs to start. Correction needs to start at the house of God. And we as the church need to acknowledge how far we've fallen from God's plan for us. 
God says if we do these things, if we turn, you know, if, if we humble ourselves, if we seek His face, if we pray, if we honestly turn from our wicked ways, He's going to do three things. I'm going to close with this because there's really nothing to add to this. He says if we do those things, He's going to do these things. Number one, He says I'm going to hear from heaven. Secondly, He says I'm going to forgive their sin. And then thirdly, He says I'm going to heal your land. If we will humble ourselves, if we will seek His face, if we will pray and if we'll turn from our wicked ways, God says, I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive your sin and I'll hear your land. I believe, I, I, I believe God wants to send one more, and I don't want to say necessarily revival, but rather bigger than revival, one more great awakening. Great awakening is for the lost. I believe at the same time God wants to have one more revival for the church. So you've got to get vived before you can get revived. There needs to be one more great awakening so that lost people can come to Christ. But there also needs to be one more great revival so that the people in the church can turn back to God. Turn from our sin, turn from our evil ways, turn from our little, our little pet sins or the, the, the things we do in our lives that, that, that take God off the throne and we elevate that. And God says if we do that, I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive your sin and I'll hear your land. Invitation as simple as this this morning. First of all, there might be some of us in here today that need to give our life to Christ for the first time. I'm going to lead you in a prayer for that here in a minute. But the second part of the invitation is this. Do we need, if you will, to have a come to Jesus moment this morning as Christians? Lord, I as an individual Christian have sinned against You. Me as part of the church, we've sinned against You. Me as part of the United States of America, we've sinned against You. And I'm coming forward today to acknowledge my part in it, to ask You to forgive me of my sin. And I want to rededicate my life to You. Turn from my sin and turn to You. Simple as that. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Heavenly Father, this morning I pray if there's anybody here that wants to know Christ, they would just say this prayer, realizing the prayer doesn't save you. The prayer is the vehicle that we use to speak our hearts to you. And if that's their desire this morning, they say something like this, Heavenly Father, I realize this morning I'm a sinner. That means I've done things to disobey you with my thoughts, with my words, or with my deeds. Father, I'm sorry for living like that. I want to change, but I know I can't do it on my own. Realize you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross. He hung on that cross to pay for the penalty of my sin. He shed His blood to cover my sin. And right here and right now, though I don't understand everything, I ask, as I turn from my sin and turn to Jesus, I ask Him to come into my life, forgive me, forgive me of my sin, to become my Lord and Savior. I promise to love Him, to live, him, live for Him the rest of my life. Never be ashamed of Him. Father, I thank You for those who prayed that prayer. And Lord, I just want to pray for those this morning that You've touched their hearts.